0: Me for the reading of God's Word, and while you are standing, turn in your Bibles to 2nd Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be starting in verse 6, reading through verse 11. And if you do not have a Bible with you today, that is okay, there are Pew Bibles in front of you, and you can find scripture reading this morning on page 669. 2nd Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6, reading through verse 11. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work as it is written he has dispersed abroad he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you this morning. Father, just thanking you for the freedoms and the blessings that we have. Father, the ability to live in a free nation with what has transpired this week and just uh, give you the glory and honor that we can just freely come to this place of worship. Father, I just uh, ask that you challenge our hearts, Lord. Help us to examine our hearts and see uh, how we can give more, give more of our time, give more of our finances. And Lord, I just, uh, again, just praise you and thank you. Be with Pastor Bruce this morning. In your name I pray, amen.
1: Thank you, Dane, for leading us in our scripture reading. Appreciate that. Jeremy, for your music special, appreciate that as well. You know, January is typically a time for uh, the start of new things that we begin in our lives, such as maybe a new diet and a new workout so that you can have a new you. Reminds me of the guy who posted on Facebook, Dear God, my prayer for 2017 is a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix it up again like you did last year. (laughs) Not sure if God's going to answer that prayer, but nonetheless, it's a prayer. What we're doing this month, we're taking the the month of January here to, to talk about stewardship, and in particular, to talk about giving in a series that we're calling The Generosity Paradox. Perhaps you heard of the little boy in church who watched for the first time as the the ushers passed the offering plates down the pews. And when they neared the pew where he sat, the youngster piped up so that everyone could hear, Don't pay for me, Daddy, I'm under five. <laughs> this morning, I, uh, I want to show you from God's Word here, and in particular, the passage that Dane, Dane led us in reading, that we should look forward to giving to our God. Because what we're going to see here in this passage of Scripture is another paradox. That is, it pays to give. And perhaps your first response to that is, it pays to give. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? How is that even possible? But before we were interrupted last Sunday, we discovered the Sunday before in the first message uh, that in God's economy... In God's kingdom, there is such a thing as a generosity paradox. And we began to define what that is. In fact, I have it in your notes again. Uh, You're welcome to pull out that insert in your bulletin if you want to follow along, or you're welcome just to follow along on the screen behind me. But what is the generosity paradox? We stated it this way. By giving, we receive, and by grasping, we lose. By giving, we receive, and by grasping, we lose. And the first uh, message in the series here, we focus on the very first part of that phrase. By giving, we receive. And I want us to unpack that a little more here in this particular text in 2 Corinthians. In fact, this is the whole heart of Paul's message here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It was written to motivate us to give generously, but to fully understand what Paul's talking about here, we need to know something about three different churches in reference to this passage. Uh, The first church is, is known as the Jerusalem Church. And this is a Jewish congregation that had been hit hard by a famine, which created some significant needs in the church. And so what Paul does is he's traveling around to to different churches that have been started and planted, and and he's taking up a a love offering for this Jerusalem church who's been hit hard by this famine, who was in a difficult situation, and they need some help. And then we have the Macedonian churches. This is a group of churches in the cities across northern Greece. These these believers were also in a very difficult financial situation. In fact, it's interesting, in. In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul describes their situation as as in deep poverty and and great affliction. And yet, when when he proposes this love offering to them, they gave generously to help out these believers at the Jerusalem church. And so you have the Jerusalem church, the Macedonian churches, but there's a third group of churches, and that is known as the Corinthian church. And that is a church located in southern Greece, founded by Paul during his second missionary journey. And Paul is writing to this church to motivate them to give generously in their love offering for the church in Jerusalem. In chapter 8 here of 2 Corinthians, Paul highlights the generosity of the Macedonian churches. In other words, he's, he's... highlighting them as an example for the corinthian church to look at and he's kind of pointing them to look at the macedonian church say look look what they did they gave generously to help out this jerusalem church who was in dire need and yet they were in need themselves and so he uses them as a motivating factor for the church at corinth which is who we're looking at now These two chapters in 2 Corinthians are all about giving, and yet what's interesting, Paul does not command these Christ followers in Corinth to even give. Instead, he offers them this motivation for generous giving. And it's this paradox. It pays to give. And just like the Sunday before, this is another truth on the surface that appears. It it seems like a paradox But Paul is so committed to this truth that he even wants us to grow in our generosity when he writes in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7, but as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. What grace? Grace. What grace is he referring to that we should abound in? Well, he's referring to this grace that he calls giving, the grace of giving. And so he wants us to abound in this grace. He wants us, in other words, to grow in this grace, to grow in our generosity. Why? Because as we're going to see, it pays to give. In fact, Paul writes in verse 10 later on in the same chapter, he says, And in this matter, what matter? Well, the matter that I'm speaking about, the ma- in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. You say, well, how does this giving benefit you? It pays to give. When Paul considered this love offering, he believed it was not only beneficial for the people in Jerusalem, the ones who were receiving the love offering, but he believed it was also beneficial for the church in Corinth, the one who was going to give this love offering. Paul knew that giving is not a one-way street, with the receiver being the only one who receives. You see, Paul understood that generosity is rewarded as we make eternal investments in God's kingdom. Mark it down. You never lose anything you give away for God's kingdom. Generosity is always rewarded. And so let this paradox be a motivating factor for you to give generously because it pays to give. Now, with all this background in mind, Paul begins to lay out in the next chapter, chapter 9, the principle, the practice, and the promise of this generosity paradox. And so let's break it down. Let's unpack it, if you will, for the next few minutes here. Notice, number one, the principle. We reap in measure as we sow. We reap in measure as we sow. The Bible tells us that there are certain ways that God works in the universe in response to our actions. For example, James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so what we see is proud people are actually resisted by God. Two Sundays ago, we saw in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Give, and it shall be given to you. And here in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul uses now this farming metaphor to illustrate what happens when we give. Paul writes in verse 6, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is oftentimes called the the law of the harvest or the law of sowing and reaping. And the principle is fairly easy to understand. We reap in measure as we sow. Think of it this way. If you plant a lot, you're going to reap a lot. Some of you may be familiar with the similar passage that Paul refers to in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, where he writes, a man reaps what he sows. In other words, what you reap is what you sow. You plant beans and you will get what? Beans. You plant corn and you will get corn. Not watermelon, not squash, not spinach. But here in verse 6, Paul is making a different point. He now says here in this particular chapter how you sow is how you reap. Sow a little, reap a little. Sow a lot, reap a lot. Now, I'm not a farmer, I'm a pastor. (laughs) I don't pretend to be a farmer. We used to have a small vegetable garden in our backyard a few years ago, and that was a flop. I do not have a green thumb. So now all I try to grow is grass. And that's even somewhat of a chore. Bill, our drummer here, tries to help me with that with his lawn care business and so uh, he he, and he's done a great job I actually have green grass and and my boys love that because uh, when he fertilizes and it rains that grass grows faster and they they just love the opportunity that that provides and I love standing on my deck watching them (laughs) sitting on my deck watching them it's great it's awesome so I'm not a farmer I don't pretend to be a farmer I don't know a lot about farming or gardening but here's one thing I do know you can't grow what you don't plant. And if you want to reap more, then you have to plant more. In other words, there's a direct connection between reaping and sowing. We reap in measure as we sow. And this is exactly what Jesus meant when we unpacked this two Sundays ago in Luke 6.38. Give, and it shall be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So there is this divine law, if you will, that is in play when it comes to our giving. Giving is like sowing. It results in a harvest. But that harvest, listen to this, this is wild, this harvest is actually determined by how we sow. As Paul states, he who sows sparingly will also reap how." sparingly but he who sows bountifully will also reap how bountifully now let's be honest most people operate on the opposite principle namely we will have more if we give less that's how we think that's how we operate But the Bible is telling us here, you will have more if you give more. But that doesn't sound like good math, does it? No. For example, 10 minus 1 equals what? 9. 10 minus 0 equals 10. And so if you want to have 10 instead of 9, you subtract 0 from the checking account on the first day of the week, right? Wrong. The problem with that math is that it leaves God out of the equation. And that's what I'm trying to change here this morning, is to encourage you to put God and His promises back into our finances, back into our, can I say it this way, our financial worldview here, to trust God with your life and your livelihood. Note the option in verse 6, is not between giving and not giving. That's not what Paul is presenting here. The issue here that Paul is presenting to us is rather, how much will you give? You see, you can give sparingly and reap sparingly, or you can give bountifully and reap bountifully. And in this way, there is a real sense in which we can determine how God will bless us. No, we can't dictate to God what He will do in our lives. God is God, and we are not. But we can participate in the process of our blessings. We can receive the blessings of God sparingly or bountifully by how we give to God. This is the principle of generosity. We reap in measure as we sow. Paul now brings us to the practice of this, the practice of generosity. And notice how we state it here in your notes. We reap as we sow with the right heart, with the right heart. Now, motive of the heart makes absolutely no difference to a farmer. If a farmer sows good seed and good soil and he has good weather and some good rain, listen, he will reap a harvest whether he is working for profit, whether he's working for pleasure, or whether he is working for his pride motive makes no difference it makes no difference how he plans to use that money that he earns the harvest will probably come just the same regardless but not so with Christ's followers the right heart paul is bringing to us here is vitally important when it comes to giving this is why paul writes in verse 7 look at it once again Look what he writes. He says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And again, we see that every Christ follower has a personal responsibility to give whether you are rich, whether you are poor, or whether you are even in debt. And so verse 7 begins by reaffirming for us the duty of Christian giving when he says, so let each one of us, what? Let each one of us give. The rest of the verse now emphasizes this practice of giving without directly mentioning to us or even commanding to us how much to give. Which means no matter how much you do give, God is pleased when you give intentionally, when you give willingly, and when you give joyfully. Let me talk about those three aspects just briefly here. Notice, first of all, giving intentionally. The practice of giving intentionally. Paul writes, So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart. In that phrase purposes in his heart. It means to choose beforehand, to make a decision beforehand. In other words, Paul uses it here to say that our giving should be an intentional decision rather than some thoughtless decision at the last minute. That's not how we give. We intentionally decide to give. We plan to give. This is why Paul writes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, he says, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that it's there when I come to collect the offering. These are fundamental instructions for giving. Each of us ought to intentionally lay something aside to give to God. Here's the deal. No one ever gives by accident. Anybody here ever give accidentally? No, we do not part with our money accidentally. I, I mean, my kids sure don't. I don't know about you. I mean, my kids are money grabbers. More, Dad, give me more. They're not like, oh, Dad, here, I got an extra five bucks. You have it. You use it, Dad. I know you spend so much on us. You, you use this. Us. Go to McDonald's. Oh, No. And we as adults, we're not that way either. No one gives by accident. Generosity is not just something you slide into. Nobody slides into generosity either. Listen, it's a choice that you make. Each of us must purpose in our heart to give generously. So give intentionally. The second one, give willingly. Paul writes in verse 7, so let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart. Paul is reminding us that no one can make you give. Giving is something each person must willingly do on their own. Now, let me just stop and kind of qualify that because there is an aspect as parents that we can make our children give by way as a teaching them to give. Um, Uh, And I'll just share from a personal example in our family and how my wife and I have done this with our own two boys. Uh, My boys, when they got old enough to start mowing the yard, which they love to do, by the way, ask Jack how much he loves it. Uh, That's how they get their allowance. In our family, allowance is not free. Allowance is something you earn, okay? Okay. And so one of their parts of their allowance that they earn is by mowing the yard. And so I give them money for that. What I require from them and actually make them do is to split that allowance three ways. And when they were smaller, we actually had envelopes that we would actually, physical envelopes. And on the one envelope, we'd write, giving to Jesus. That would be envelope one. Envelope two spending as I want, envelope three, saving for the future. Those were the three envelopes. And so out of what I would give them for mowing, I required them to put money into all three of those envelopes. They had no say in it. No say whatsoever. I determined the amount that they were going to give, put in each envelope. Now, what went into their spending envelope? I let them spend that however they want. You want to go buy candy and blow all your money on candy go for it Do it and it will be gone in a f- and let me tell you I have one son whose money just burns a hole in his pocket there is never any money in that envelope you know the other son he's kind of learned just you know saving's a good thing and when it comes into giving for Jesus uh, you know that's part of the accountability hey and you know, you know, we even use envelopes, giving envelopes. Let them write in the back of the pew in their own box of envelopes and, and you know, help guide them. Hey, it's now time to give this Sunday. You ha- I paid you now. How much needs to go in that? I make them fill out the envelope even. Ask them in the morning, hey, you got your envelope? Did you give it? You follow up on that. And that's all part of it. That's how we've done it in our household in the sense of making someone give. But as you know, that's all for the purpose of teaching. In helping them now, as they get older, Tyler's now 19. He has a job. I don't make him now. It's totally different, totally different ball game. Do I follow up on him? Absolutely. Do I ask him? Hey, Tyler, I know you have. Have you been giving? Yeah, Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great, good, good job. But it's not. It's it's he's grown into becoming this an adult, a man on his own. And that's the way we are as adults. No one can make us give. As a pastor, I may ask, I may pray, I may preach about giving, but you are still free to give or not to give. No one can make you give. And when we collect the offering here in our church, we don't put a gun to your head. as the offering plate is passed by. I mean, that wouldn't be ethical, would it? That wouldn't even be legal. We want people to give because they want to give, not because they have to give. And Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. And so Paul emphasizes this importance of giving willingly with two negative principles or two negative phrases that are in direct opposite of a willing spirit or a willing heart. First he says, don't give grudgingly. Now that's an interesting word, grudgingly. It actually comes from a Greek word that means out of sorrow. In other words, God doesn't want you to give with reluctance or with resistance or even with resentment. And if giving produces sorrow in your heart, and you're giving here on a Sunday morning or Online and it's just like cringing and produces sorrow in your heart to do so. Then you should be more concerned about your own spiritual condition because it means something is wrong. Likewise, don't give out of necessity. Don't give out under, in other words, under compulsion. Under compulsion means to to be in between a bent arm. That's literally what it means to be in between a bent arm. And so. Just think back to when your big brother put you in a headlock and forced you to do something you didn't want to do. That's the idea here. In other words, God says, don't give because somebody's got you in a headlock and forcing you to give. No, 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 no. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want you to give out of compulsion. He doesn't want you to give out of Manipulation. He doesn't want you to give out of intimidation, but instead God wants you to give willingly because you want to and to give from the heart because you love God and you understand what He's done for you. Which brings us to the third aspect of how to give. Give joyfully. Paul tells us at the end of verse 7, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, it should be our joy to give for the glory of God and the work of God. God doesn't want sad givers who give grudgingly or mad givers who give because we have to. God wants glad givers who give joyfully in response to His abundant, amazing grace. Why? Because God loves joyful givers. This is a wonderful truth. God loves for you to be happy in your giving. God God can't be irritated by our joyful generosity. God savors the joy of every gift given and every gift received. God loves cheerful givers because he himself is a cheerful giver who gave us his son, Jesus Christ. Paul then concludes with this incredible promise. So we've seen this principle, we've now seen the practice, and now he ends with this promise to us. And the promise is stated this way, we reap even while we are sowing. The farmer, he has to wait for his harvest. But the Christ follower, who gives generously, reaps the harvest immediately. To be sure, there are long-range benefits from our giving, but there are also immediate blessings. God uses your generosity as a spiritual catalyst for blessing you. You say, where do you get this? Well, look what Paul is saying here in verses 10 through 11. Look at it with me again. He says, Now may he, that is God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes Thanksgiving through us to God. This is another argument from the farm for trusting God the Father. God always provides seed for sowing and bread for food. God's nature is to care for the planting and also for the harvest. He watches over it from beginning to end, year after year. Now, if God does that for a farmer, don't you think God will do that for us who give back to Him? He will. And verse 10 says so very clearly. Look at it. The verbs Paul uses in this one verse supply, multiply, increase, enriched. Look at this promise carefully. God says He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And what Paul is doing, he's quoting from Isaiah 55.10, and it's the idea is that God will supply and even multiply your seed for more sowing and more reaping. God will increase your harvest of righteousness. And in here, this phrase, Paul's quoting from Hosea chapter 10 in verse 12. And the idea is that when you give, you set in motion a great cycle of God's grace for yourself and for others. God meets your needs and blesses you with a harvest that can now be shared with others. And according to verse 11, God will enrich you for the sake of being more generous. That is, God will give you more so you can share more with others. And the result is many more people will give thanks to God. Many more will glorify God. We can summarize God's promise this way. God will always give you enough to be generous with. Always. You want to be a generous giver? God will supply it. He'll give you enough to be generous. That doesn't mean God will give you so much that you will be wealthy in the world's eyes. He's not saying necessarily that. So trusting God to give generously is always, always worth it. What we see here is this paradox that says it pays to give. But perhaps some of you are here and you're still doubting this a little bit. You're just not quite sure. Is that really true? You're still wondering, how is this possible? Can I really trust God to give generously? And if I give, I mean, how can I pay my bills? How how will I make ends meet? Will God take care of me? Now, all of these are valid concerns, are they not? Who here does not share those concerns? So let me share with you three words that can transform your life that can literally transform your finances and those three words are God is able God is able and what is God able to do we'll go back to verse 8 look what Paul writes and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you Always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Now, in unpacking that verse, let's start at the end of the verse and work backwards. God's promise is that you will have an abundance for every good work. What good work? Well, in this context, the good work is giving to help other people in need. The middle phrase says that you will always have all sufficiency in all things. It doesn't mean God makes you self-dependent, but rather you will be independent of circumstances for your happiness, yet totally dependent on God to meet your needs. You say, how is this possible? We'll go back to the beginning of the verse. It says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That's the secret that can transform your life, transform your finances, is God's grace. So what is God able to do? Well, we can think of it this way. God's grace is able to give cheerful givers enough for themselves in abundance for others. The point here is God gives us more than we need. And the reason God does that is not so that we can store up the excess and build our own personal kingdoms here on earth, but so that we can provide for good works in God's kingdom and to glorify God through it all. Or to link it up with verse 7, the reason that God gives you more than you need is not so that you can reduce your joy by keeping it all for you and your family, but to increase your joy by giving it. So how do you turn God's grace loose in your life? By trusting God enough to give generously. Let me put it this way. If you truly want to give to God, God will make it possible and He'll give you more than enough to give. And the proof is in verse 9, where He writes, "...as it is written, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor." His righteousness endures forever. That is a quote from Psalm 112 verse 9. And the context makes it clear that it is talking about the person who trusts God and gives generously. In other words, if we will trust God enough to act as conduits of God's grace rather than cul-de-sacs of God's grace, then there will be an unending supply of His righteousness. God will not forget your generosity and he will make all grace abound toward you. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line, when you strip it all away, all comes down to this. It always comes down to this. Are you willing to trust God enough to give and to give generously in this new year? Listen, there's no doubt When it comes to finances especially, when it comes to money and giving, giving generously is a step of faith. It's an act in which I declare that I trust God enough to supply what I need. And the basic bottom line is the reason why some people don't give is because they don't trust this promise right here. They don't really believe God's going to supply and meet their needs. And so if I part with this money and I give it back to him through his local church, I may not have enough to meet my needs. And so there is a real step of faith, a real act of faith here. And I say trust God, quote, enough, because giving doesn't take, here's the beautiful thing, it doesn't take great, great faith. It just takes enough faith to start. And as you do, your faith will grow in God and in His promises. As one author writes, giving is simply what trusting in God's promises looks like. Here at our church, there are three ways to give. The most obvious way is to give in person. To give in person, such as we are here this morning. Each Sunday as we come to church, we bring our offering our ties and our offerings and, and that may be in cash that may be by a check and you may use the giving envelopes which we highly encourage you if you give in this manner whether it's by cash or check to, to actually use giving envelopes which are provided in the pews there for you or uh, if you give on a regular basis and you would like we also provide um, boxes of giving envelopes that are numbered according to you and its for account accounting purposes in our office And uh, and so each Sunday, uh, both in our discovery hour, in all of our classes from the children all the way up through our senior adult classes in our discovery hour, we have a a time where the offering is is collected and you have opportunity to give in person. Physically give your offering and tithes. Here in, in our worship service, as we come to the conclusion here, like we do every Sunday, we have an opportunity where our ushers come forward and they pass the offering plates down the pew. And you are given the opportunity to give back to God Physically, your your offering, if you will. To place it in the offering plate. And there's great value in that. There is something unique in, in the physical act when you have to write that check out or you put cash in that envelope and you bring it to church and you release it out of your hand and you see it go into the offering plate and it's taken away. there's something about that that act in and of itself is a great beginning step for teaching people and and even like myself I still give in that way that's how I've been giving for all of my life and when Darla and I got married almost twenty six years ago we began to give in this manner and we decided we would give and this is how we're going to do it And the 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 regularity of it changes because how we get paid nowadays changes People don't, aren't paid every week. They're paid biweekly or once a month or however the case may be. And so the frequency of it may change, but there is something in the act of writing out your check. And like I do for our family, I, at my desk in my basement, and you write it out. And, and sometimes you're like, Lord, where's that money going to come from? I'm, I'm low right now. And you trust God. God will supply. And, and you, obviously you budget for that on your, in your tithes and regular offerings. And you trust God. He's going to meet. And that there's also another way, because we are in different times now. We're in this digital age, this uh, internet age to give online. And I encourage especially younger, uh, younger people, middle aged, new givers to begin giving this way it's by online giving. And our church provides that opportunity through our website, Glenwood with Connection. Org. I encourage you to go there and check out the opportunities of giving online. There are a lot of great benefits to give online. And, and first and foremost, it's safe and it's secure. We promise you that. Um, in fact, right now, I think uh, this, in 2016, about 33% of all of our income as a church came through online giving. And so many of you already utilize this option of online giving. Uh, but one of the greatest benefits of it is the regularity and the consistency that it provides for you. And you set it up. You can re- set it up for recurring gifts, um, either through a debit card, credit card, or even HCH, and it's recurring. And, and you can kind of just set it up and walk away from it. And, that, the, and that's both good and bad. The good, the bad. the good is you can walk away, and it, it's, it's set up. And so, like, when we didn't have church last Sunday, when we could have... Uh, You know, you didn't have to worry about, oh, man, did I forget to make up my offering or not? No, it's already set up. The bad is you walk away from it, and you don't ever think about it sometimes. And so you have to have opportunities to be reminded of, what am I doing? What am I doing throughout the year? Am I giving? Am I trusting of God to provide as I give? And then, of course, the third way is you can give by mail. Uh, When you miss or when you're on vacation or whatever and you still give physically, Um, a check or envelope you can mail it to the church office and we get it that way and so those are just three ways to give I encourage you to explore what option is best for you as God leads you in your own heart the real question as we come back, back to this though is can you trust God with your life and livelihood can we trust God with our finances and the answer is yes you can remember God is able to make all grace abound toward you do you believe that Do you believe the generosity paradox that it pays to give? Now, next Sunday, we're going to explore the second half of the generosity paradox statement. By grasping, we lose. And we're going to see from an example in the New Testament how, when we grasp for ourselves, how we lose in the end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank You for the opportunity we have here this morning. We thank You for being in Your house. We thank You for Your Word and the promises that You give to us here through the Apostle Paul and the example of these Macedonian believers who gave generously. Even though they were in need themselves, Lord, they trusted You enough to give. And now Paul sets that example up even for us today as a motivation to give. That it pays to give. Somehow, in some way, it pays to give in your kingdom economy. And so, Lord, help us to live this out. Help us to give willingly, intentionally, and joyfully in response to your grace because you have given so sacrificially to us first and foremost with your Son, Jesus Christ who provides us the gift of salvation, Lord, in Him and Him alone. And we thank You for that. And so, Lord, work in our hearts even now as we come to this response time. In Your name we pray. Amen. Praise team's going to sing a chorus, and as they do, you respond as the Lord is leading you right where you're seated.